Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. December the 4th, and that means that we are reading in Luke chapter 4 today. If you have not yet joined us in our reading through the Gospel of Luke during this season of Advent, you know, there's still time. Uh, We're only four days in, and so you've got time to catch up. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 4 today, which begins, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit In the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days, and when those days were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So Luke chapter 4 goes on, but I want to pause here for a moment and make a few observations about these opening verses. Um, We get get the entire Trinity present in the conversation here. We also uh, have the Word of God um, demonstrated in its power. Um, We see Jesus for who he is, fully man and fully God. We see him relying upon the Scriptures. We see him being obedient to the Father. We see him empowered, full of the Holy Spirit, is the language that's used here. We also see him interacting very directly with a character who is called the devil. Um, this is a this is a passage of, of scripture to which you can turn when people deny the existence of an enemy, when they deny the existence of the devil. You cannot deny the existence of the devil and claim the existence of Jesus. Jesus clearly believed, encountered, interacted with uh, a character described as the devil. Um, the devil uh, obviously knows the scriptures and uses them. The devil recognizes Jesus for who he is, but then um, tests him to see whether or not Jesus really knows who he is. There, there are all kinds of opportunities in this passage of scripture for us to engage in theological conversations uh, with others about what they believe and why they believe it and how we're living in the world. Just because somebody whips out a verse of scripture does not actually mean they believe 
uh, in the author of it. And uh, they're just, I just want to encourage you to not just read these passages, but actually consider the meaning of what is said there. Consider the characters, consider the scene, consider what happens, consider the response of people. As you read through uh, Luke chapter 4, you're going to see people responding to Jesus in myriad ways. You're also going to see him claiming to be the one who fulfills the promise of God, uh, of, of the one who comes to save. And so let me just encourage you to read the entirety of Luke chapter 4 on this fourth day of December as we read together in this Advent season. You can still sign up at MyFaithRadio.com. Next up, Matthew Hawkins. We'll be right back. Joining me now, Matthew Hawkins. You can find him on Twitter at MTHawk. You can find him online at MatthewTHawkins.com. I might have made that up. I'm not actually looking at your website. Did I get it off the top of my head? What did you say? MatthewTHawkins.com. Yeah, that's it. MatthewTHawkins.com. Let's talk about, um, well, we're, we're going to pursue the prospect that Joe Biden is going to be inaugurated as the next president of the United States. Um, yes. which may or may not happen. And I recognize that. But that's the that's the storyline we're going to yeah. pursue right now. And we're going yeah. to ask ourselves, what does that mean for abortion rights and the uh, and the abortion conversation in the United States of America? Yeah. So um, naturally, it's something that I will be following uh, in, intently um, as the Biden administration um, enters office. And uh, it's one of those things where. My my kind of thirty thousand foot reaction is um, when you've been looking at public policy stuff for a while and you see administrations come and administrations go. Um, the theme that tends to tends to come out is that it it will often be worse than some people imagine, and in other cases it won't be as bad as some people imagine. But it tends to look different than we anticipate. Um, so with that caveat. Um, the things that we'll be looking at with the Biden administration are the same things we looked about at, at with the Trump administration, which happens to be um, what what they're going to do with the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, the Biden administration will enter office without um, without um, Congress run by his own party, and so he will be a fairly weak president legislatively, um, presuming, of course, that Republicans hold the Senate. Um, so which is the, which gonna, is again that sort of gets us back to a conversation precarious. we've been having in an ongoing way, which is Georgia. Um, and so mm-hmm. let me just remind everybody who lives in Georgia, legally registered to vote, you know, you got to get out and vote um, because mm-hmm. the the balance of the Senate is um, is still yeah. in the being weighed. It is not a foregone conclusion. Um, so that said, um, we'll be looking at uh, Health and Human Services, which distributes funds government funds to all sorts of uh, medically related services, Um, namely uh, organizations that do, quote unquote, family planning. And so under the Trump administration, uh, funding, federal funding was limited uh, to organizations who uh, conducted abortions or counseled uh, counseled mothers toward abortion. Okay, and so that for pro-lifers is a pretty big deal because we don't want taxpayer dollars uh, going to those organizations that props up 
uh, abortion um, advocacy in the abortion industry, even in, in an indirect fashion. Um, so we would expect under a Biden administration to change those rules and for funding to be then released uh, once again um, through what it's called the Title X program um, and organizations both domestically and possibly um, foreign uh, could be eligible to receive government funding again. Now that takes that typically takes several months uh, for that to happen, because there is a regulatory process that they have to go through, and there'll be public comment and et cetera, et cetera. But um, more or less, uh, the administration will do be able to do what it wants to do along those lines. Um, so that's kind of the, that's what I mainly anticipate, um, and so we're troubled by that. Um, but elections have consequences, and that's one of the, going to be one of the uh, consequences of this particular election. I, you know, one one thing that's that's been chatted about a little bit is Biden um, has waned on his support. About a year and a half ago, he decided to stop supporting what's called the Hyde Amendment, which um, prevents taxpayer dollars from going directly to abortion uh, costs. Um, I don't anticipate. Number one, the I'm kind of two minds at this. On the one hand, the the Hyde Amendment is always precarious because it has to be renewed every year, uh, or it has to be renewed basically on every piece of legislation that it's assigned to because it's not permanent. Um, so they they're attached to funding bills. Hyde and the and he you know rejected support of it. Um, the question is whether Democrats would actually rescind the Hyde Amendment, which is kind of a scrimmage line between um, the abortion, uh, pro-abortion industry and pro-lifers. Um, as long as they, as long as Republicans hold the Senate, uh, I think we can remain sure that the Hyde Amendment will remain intact. Um, but if Democrats get uh, control of both chambers and the White House, um, then uh, you're kind of in for some trouble potentially with the Hyde Amendment. But um, you still, they still need um, Republican support from time to time. It's pretty difficult to get uh, legislation through uh, without 60 votes in the Senate. So um, I'm, I'm cautious about the Hyde Amendment, but I'm also not, uh, I'm not pulling the fire alarm. Yeah, That's exactly. Um, well, no, I like, uh, I like the cautious but not pulling the fire alarm approach uh, to many of these conversations. Matt Hawkins and I, he's the former policy director for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, he was based in Washington, D.C., working on these issues on Capitol Hill. He and I are going to return to this conversation in just a moment. We're going to pick up on the topic um, of SOGI or LGBTQ rights, um, things that we anticipate happening. Um, We're also going to read you in on something called the Secular Democrats, which is a pack that you might not be familiar with, um, and actually a, a caucus in Um, in Congress called the Congressional Free Thought Caucus, which was new to me as well. All right. All of that up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continue my conversation with Matt Hawkins. Uh, Matt, let's talk about the swift moves that um, Biden plans um, to make um, to protect and advance yeah. LGBTQ rights or what is known as SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity, agenda items, and those who are encouraging him to do so. 
Yeah. So again, this is going to be uh, fall into the category of what can Biden do uh, within the executive branch. And uh, within the last several years, uh, listeners will no doubt be surprised that um, kind of terms that we kind of place in in the category of the sexual revolution and human sexuality have been a top issue um, for the nation and ended up uh, to to date being largely decided by um, the courts and the Supreme Court. And so you have uh, legalized same-sex marriage um, that has implications for a lot of folks. And then uh, coming out of that um, uh, you know, what is required of, uh, you know, both nonprofit organizations, religious organizations and, um, and, uh, for-profit corporations, um, when they intersect with, um, uh, so-called LGBTQ rights. Um, one of those things has to do with, um, transgender persons in military. Um, can they serve? To what extent does the military have to uh, accommodate them? Um, does the military provide, uh, funding for say, uh, sex change sur- uh, surgeries? Um, those things have been bubbling below the surface for a number of years now. And during the Trump administration, the administration, um, in the context of executive Authority um, said no, that the military is not going to um, fund transgender surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, using largely um, uh, basically rationale of what they what in military terms is called readiness um, and basically saying, look, um, if, you know, transgender people want to serve, that's fine. But like we can't um, it's a matter of readiness for, say, you know, a, a group of soldiers um, to have to um, accommodate basically, you know, surgical experiences uh, on, on the field and in the context of service. Um, it's complicated um, things like um, naturally recovery from the surgery and uh, things like uh, medicines that have to be refrigerated and, and those kinds of things. Um, which is something that, that is not helpful to the military context. Um, I, so you expect um, Trump to reverse that um, and then uh, – or I'm sorry, you expect Biden to reverse that. You also expect um, him to reverse um, some of the Trump's executive orders that had to do with religious exemptions um, that uh, in the terms of the LGBTQ community um, allow organizations to quote unquote discriminate against them. Um, We would sometimes say, um, not always, but we would often say that organizations are trying to um, basically operate according to their religiously informed convictions, um, which have pretty specific beliefs about human sexuality. And sometimes folks can accommodate and sometimes they can't. Um, So you may see uh, Biden um, policies rolling out that start to limit the religious exemptions that we um, that we enjoyed under the Trump administration. I would point out that um, Republicans had the opportunity to codify uh, the Trump transgender policy into law back in 2017, um, but it was rejected by Republicans alongside uh, General Mattis, who was then Trump's top dog, the military, uh, who actually lobbied. Capitol Hill to not pass it. Um, and so this is, again, uh, a situation where, once again, we find ourselves with the legislature not doing its job um, and the particular party that's theoretically more 
friendly to social conservatives actually not delivering um, in a legislative capacity. And so now we have a ping pong ball that's uh, going to be uh, flipped over by a new administration because that's how uh, our elections work. So that was a disappointing bit of history from 2017. But this could have been a non-issue it's, with respect to the military. Um, it could have been codified into law, but uh, Republicans failed to get that done. Um, that's kind of my, my hot take. What, what are you seeing on that front? Well, I think the... Um... I think some of the things that will catch people's attention if indeed um, a President Biden were to implement some of the things being recommended to him by at least some members of Congress. Um, and again, I'll just go ahead and confess this secular Democrats uh, PAC, as well yeah. as this uh, Congressional Free Thought Caucus, um, those are new to me. Um, okay. And so now I have new, you know, like new groups to be watching in terms of the press releases that they're issuing and those kinds of things. Um, yeah. Maybe not surprising, but I think it would catch people's attention that, you know, they want to replace the use of the official motto in God We Trust. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they would prefer a Latin, uh, you know, they using the unofficial e pluribus unum uh, out of many one you know, Latin. I, I don't think a lot of Americans speak Latin or would understand right. that. I, I think that's I mean, I think that's just evidence of um, of just how elite the um, the group of people is that's engaged in conversations about LGBTQ advocacy in this country. This is not a conversation that is being had at, you know, at this kind of level um, in most communities across the country. The, the conversations that we're having in our homes, in our youth groups, in our communities about this subject matter is, um, you know, is at a heart level dealing with individuals who are struggling and yeah. and seeking to answer those questions in ways that align with reality. And, you know, frankly, uh, the the national conversation gets in the way of that a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I just want to be you know quick to point that out. I do think that the threat to religious exemptions um, in relationship to RIFRA, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, yeah. um, if that were to be repealed, rescinded, dismantled, adjusted, whatever, um, you know, I think those are probably for most people the the really big concerns. I also saw as a part of that that they are um, they are wanting the federal government to tell states that they cannot issue religious exemptions in terms of uh, for vaccinations, which right now, you know, yeah. people can opt out of having their kids vaccinated um, for public school or daycare based on you know, making a religious appeal. And these yeah. people are saying, well, no, I mean, everybody has to have the COVID vaccine and nobody can say no to it. That seems um, a little authoritarian to me um, yeah, in, in terms of compulsion. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, no, I think those are some observations that I would make. Um, and again, we're not going to set our hair on fire. Um, we're going right. to we are going to respond as things happen, but we're going to we need to prepare ourselves in order to respond well. I mean, I just yeah, think there's no I, question. Yeah, I, I agree. I, the uh, Secular Democrats PAC um, is interesting. Um, there's always there has been for many years uh, some sort of what you could call, quote unquote, atheist lobby uh, around D.C. They're small. Um, they you know, the idea of changing, you know, 
it's small ball policy to change, you know, think mottos like in God we trust, um, you know, we can have those kinds of conversations. Um, the, uh, but the, their quote to quote, restore a vision of constitutional secularism. Uh, <laughs> we, we, we ought to recognize what, what that is and what that isn't. Um, so on the one hand, look, I, I'm a, I'm a critic, uh, also of what's so-called the Christian nationalist movement. Um, sure. I don't think we're organized in, in terms of a quote unquote Christian nation as far as uh, public policy and, and governance. Um, uh, but I also, we are not Calvin's Geneva. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I also don't believe that this constitution sets forth a secularism, uh, like France or, uh, for some time that Turkey did, um, where like some kind of, uh, you know, religiously absent secular square is, is the ideal. That's not in the constitution. Um, what we're trying to conserve here is a liberal democracy that allows all people to come to the table, um, and, 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 and discuss things that Matter, uh, of national importance. Um, so I don't get too freaked out about um, uh, the atheist lobbies. Um, they, are, they are interesting, um, and but they do exaggerate a lot. Um, and uh, you always see them in the news, but they like to, you know, uh, make some state level um, challenges in the courts. Um, that tend to get swapped down or kind of swatted down pretty swiftly um, in the courts because we have a pretty robust history of religious freedom in this country, uh, not to mention like a, was it a 14 consecutive wins in the Supreme Court over the last, uh, you know, decade and a half or 20 years. So, um, you know, be be watchful, be mindful, uh, be aware. uh, I think we feel the threat. I think we feel yeah. the threat because of how much media coverage and attention um, very small groups of organized voices get. And so I just think we need to be sure. mindful of that and aware of that. Hey, Matt, yeah, as yeah, always, yeah. thank you for your tempered, measured uh, view. Thank you for your <laughs> historical perspective. Thank you for um, your your participation, wit and wisdom. Hey, um, happy Advent. Appreciate it. Thanks, Carver. Yeah, happy Advent. Blessings. Yeah, we'll be right back. All right, uh, Santa Claus. Um, Lots of talk of Santa Claus. I don't know if you've been out and about enough to recognize that um, the season of Christmas is upon us. People are out and about. Um, Santa Claus is very busy, at least um, for those who believe that that is how things work at Christmas. We're going to have lots of Santa Claus conversation up next with Dan DeWitt. Uh, Theo Latte is the website. He teaches at Cedarville University. We thought it would be um, good to at least take up the headline that um, one of our leading scientists across the country, Anthony Fauci, has has waylaid the fears of the world and said that Santa Claus has innate immunity and therefore will not be spreading COVID-19 this Christmas. There you go. As to see, if fact and fantasy is all tied up here together. We're going to unwind some of that. That's next here on Mornings with Carmen. (laughs) All right. Sleepless nights. Um, I had one last night. How about you? Sleepless nights lately? Sleepless nights regularly? Susie Larson is my precious colleague. She is having a live stream event this coming Sunday night. December the 6th. It's called Peaceful Sleep. So you're going to go to MyFaithRadio.com. You're going to get all of the info about the Peaceful Sleep online live stream event 
with Susie Larson and her guest, Dr. Troy Sproul. They're going to... They're going to talk about scientific research about sleep. They're going to take viewer questions. It's an opportunity to review the scriptures on the topic of peace and peaceful sleep. All kinds of great stuff. It's December the 6th, so it's coming up soon. Go to MyFaithRadio.com to get more info. We'll be right back with Dan DeWitt. I have a hat full of tips to offer parents for building meaningful relationships with their teens. But in some situations... A teen will flat out say that he just doesn't want anything to do with mom and dad. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Is your teen fighting against your every effort to connect? It's possible there's a deep-rooted grudge left over from a painful fight or breach of trust, and it's making him pull away. Try sitting down and confronting the issue face-to-face. Ask if there's anything you can do to heal the relationship. If your teen still shuts you down, remember this verse from 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. And as followers of his example, we should never give up on a relationship with our children either. There's much more encouragement for parents from Mark Gregston online at parentingtodaysteens.org. Shout out to those of you texting in this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I see you. I hear you. If you want to communicate with me during the show, just text me at 877-933-2484. Dan DeWitt from Cedarville University and Theolatte.com. Hey, welcome back, man. Thanks, Carmen. Great to be with you. Good morning. Happy Advent. Yes, indeed. Do you have some Advent practices in your home or with your students that uh, we should know about? Well, with my students, I don't because they go home before Christmas and so uh, before Advent starts. So they're already done. They went home before Thanksgiving. Um, but with our family, we do. We do the uh, uh, we have a Advent wreath um, in our family room and we write light a candle on each of the Sundays and read some scripture and um, try and maintain order You know, for the few amount of minutes we do that with our four kids. Um, but that's one of our that's one of our traditions. Oh, I like that. All right, and you have um, completed uh, grading two hundred theology papers. Did you learn anything? Yeah, I, I always do. Um, I love that, student, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it really, you know, and if nothing else, you kind of learn what they're learning from you, how they're interpreting it. Um, but my students are great, so I, I do. I walk away with I, I'm copying and pasting quotes from their papers. I'm like, oh, that's really good. And, you know, a handful of resources that they found and used. I'm like, I need to go get that book. So I try to include that when I post their grade to say, you know, I really appreciated this or that. So, but I'm thankful to be done having graded 200. Some some of them were as many as 18 pages long. Um, mm. So it was a lot of reading. All right. Well, hats off to you and other professors this time of year who are diligently grading papers and um, and then obviously, uh, if you're listening and you are a student of Dan DeWitt's, uh, theology student at Cedarville University, you don't have to sweat it anymore. They've all been graded and they were all good. There you go. They were. Um, there you go. Um, okay. Let's, um, let's talk about Santa Claus. I read a Santa Claus headline, um, that, uh, well, it led me to say this, 
Um, I think we are breeding even greater confusion in uh, in the culture when we have someone who we're supposed to be trusting for scientific information ask a question about a mythical <laughs> character and whether or not um, uh, that mythical character uh, is going to you know bring the pandemic literally down the chimney into every home in the world um, on Christmas Eve. So Anthony Fauci was asked and 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 confirmed that Santa Claus has an innate immunity and therefore will not be spreading COVID-19. But the intersection of myth or fantasy and reality and truth and history is kind of all wound up in Santa Claus. So I just thought we'd talk about Santa Claus today. Yeah, that would be great. Um, You know, there's a really good book that I'm linking to in the Weekend Worldview Reader that I would encourage people to consider. It's by Adam C. English. He's a um, professor and a department chair at Campbell University. And the title of the book, he wrote it a few years back. It's The Saint Who Would Be Santa Claus, The True Life and Trials of Nicholas of Myra. And um, it's just a wonderful um, kind of expose of the myths that have grown out of a historical character. I mean, Saint Nicholas, um, he became later became a saint. Um, he was a historical person. He lived only a few hundred years after Jesus. And so we have all these legends that have grown up around him. But it is helpful to remember he was a pastor um, who cared for needy people. And um, there's all kinds of ways that in America in particular that we've turned him into, um, you know, this guy who's going to come down the chimney and apparently bring his COVID. Thanks to Dr. (laughs) Fauci. We don't have to, you know, fear that it's a super spreader event. Um, but I also linked to an article by the same author of that book, and it's he published it with the Washington Post, and it's five myths about Santa Claus. So, yeah, there's a lot that we um, know is, fal- is false, and then there's even some things people kind of put forward as true about St. Nicholas even that are probably not, not accurate either. All right, again, I'm going to direct you to the Weekend Worldview Reader which is um, a regular um, feature on Theolatte.com. That is like God and coffee, Theolatte.com. Dan DeWitt is, uh, is the author and artist of the site. Talk with us about the night Santa went to jail, which is the lead-off in this yeah. week's Weekend Worldview Reader. Yeah, so there's a story that seemed to develop around the uh, 1300s. So, I mean, a, a thousand years after Nicholas, after he died, um, that he at the um, at a council where they were discussing the um, the heresy known as Arianism that denied that Jesus was fully God, um, and that the story goes that he was so enraged by the the heresy, the blasphemy, that he walked across the room and punched um, a uh, a bishop who held or a priest who held this view. He punched them in the face. So um, you'll see memes a lot of times that'll say, you know, have a picture of St. Nick punching a heretic. And so th- we don't know that that's true. I mean, the fact that we don't have any record of it until a thousand years after his life probably suggests that it's not true. Um, but it is interesting. It certainly is an interesting story. And it does highlight again that Santa Claus, as we know him, can be traced back to this historic Christian pastor who inspired you know, all of our legends that we celebrate today. It also gives us an opportunity to talk about the Council of Nicaea in 325 yeah. and the Nicene Creed and right theology and orthodoxy. And I mean, I just think that there are opportunities for Christian worldview engagement anytime we um, we encounter even a meme of Santa Claus. Like, right, that can be, that can be, if we're equipped, 
um, entry into a real conversation about things that really matter um, and and points of entry that would surprise most people um, who are, you know, putting up Santa Claus um, elfin-like figurines this time of year or dressing up as such. I mean, I, I just what? think that, it right, he's not an elf yeah. on a shelf. He is, you know, he's he's like a, a legit believer in Jesus. He was a servant of the church. He's a historical um, person. He lived in uh, in a time when there was a lot of debate about whether or not Jesus was uh, fully God and fully man. Um, and those conversations happened at at an, at an event called the Council of Nicaea. It's it's like worthy of going back and tilling some of that historical soil. Um, because it does help us have the conversations today. There's just a lot of people who, you know, actually believe more in Santa Claus than they do in Jesus. And so that's a great conversation, a great entry point. Um, you know, who is actually who actually sees us when we're sleeping and knows when we're awake, um, who knows that's when right. we've been bad or good. Um, and, you know, we, we're not good for goodness sake. We're good for grace, grace sake. That would be my like addendum to that song. All right, we got to take a break. That's Dan. Dan DeWitt is my uh, conversation partner this morning. He and I are going to continue chatting. And we're talking about things that are posted in the Weekend Worldview Reader, which you can find at Theolatte.com. We'll be right back. Oh, Santa, I can't wait for you to come. I just can't wait for you to come. And I've got cookies, three yummy cookies. That's one of my favorite veggie tales. I love that. Thank you, Paul. Paul Perot, always. Always the guy with the good tunes. Uh, Dan DeWitt and I are continuing our conversation. Dan um, teaches at Cedarville University. He also blogs at Theolatte.com. Dan, um, one of the things in the Weekend Worldview Reader um, from your site is this piece on Advent, longing, waiting, hoping. I just want to give you an opportunity to roam around in this. I love the holy imagination at work here. Yeah, you know, I I think that for me— I don't want to go too far in like making everything this kind of speculative thought experiment, but I do think it's helpful sometimes to think what would it have felt like, you know, for a faithful Jewish man who loves God is trying to lead his family to worship the one true and living God. There's been no word from God for four centuries, for 400 years, you know, the intertestamental period, he's clinging to these promises. Imagine what it felt like to him on that first Christmas Eve. We look back and think, well, he had to be filled with excitement. Well, no, he wouldn't have known what was going on. And so I took that idea and just wrote out this kind of imaginative scene where he's tucking his grandchildren in bed. They're, his son is in jail for you know being accused of not paying his taxes. And what must it have felt like for that man on this night um, clinging to these promises of God, waiting for the Messiah after hundreds of years of no word from God. Yeah, and, and I, um, I might imagine in my, uh, in my head and heart that he is one of the shepherds who sees the angelic host. Like, right? I mean, I just, you know, there's a, there are things that happen um, on that night when Jesus is born um, in much the same way that things happen um, at the point of his crucifixion that mm-hmm. are really impossible to imagine taking place. I mean, it's just, it's, it's impossible to imagine seeing the heavenly host in the sky. It's also impossible for us to imagine, you know, what it's like for the sky to be like literally rent in two. I mean, I just, it's hard for us to imagine those things. And yet, because we have seen so many special effects in movies and because we live in a time of, 
you know, pro- all kinds of projected realities. Um, it is important that we realize just how stunning and real the coming of Christ um, is and how astonishing the events related to his birth would have been to the people living in that day. Just utterly astonishing. Well, and yeah, and, and the whole idea of longing, we we get, we can relate to not 400 years of, of not having a prophet come from God, but we can relate to 2,000 years since Jesus mm-hmm. said that he would return for us. And so w- there's a real parallel here, you know, between these, what I tried to write this, you know, fictional account of this faithful Jewish man longing for the Messiah to come. We can relate to that because we're longing for Jesus to return. And so I end the little piece with the Apostle Paul's words when he says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Um, that from God's economy of time, it was the perfect time. And in the fullness of time, God will send him again. And again, that's God's economy of time. To us, um, it seems like God is late. It seems like time isn't going anywhere, like his history isn't moving anywhere. But like when God first sent the, with the incarnation, um, God is up to something. And at the fullness of time, when things are just right, Christ will return. And that is our, our hope. That's what we're clinging to in the same way that this man would have been clinging to the, the hope of the, the first um, the incarnation. I'm not sure that a lot of even Christians are actively anticipating the return of Jesus like any minute. Like it could happen any minute. Like it could happen mm-hmm. now or now or now or now or now. Like, or, And we're not living um, in the moment with that level or depth or joy um, in terms of expectation of the return of Jesus. It does occur to me, Dan, that um, when we talk about Jesus is, I mean, he is going to come again to judge the living and the dead. Um, that is not just a confessional statement that I make um, as a person who memorized the Apostles' Creed, you know, along the way. Um, that is a a reality um, that God promises. Jesus is coming again. And depending on where you are in your relationship with God, you either hear that as the greatest, most joyful, anticipatory promise of your lifetime, or as the greatest, most fearful threat anyone could ever make. That That's absolutely right. And as, as Christians, we celebrate Christmas, looking back on God sending the Son, we celebrate it with the hope of His second coming. And I remember one time I was I had met someone who was a a, um, a Jewish person, a Jewish um, believer in God, but did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. And I asked him, well, do you believe God will send Messiah? And he said, you know, we kind of talk about that tongue in cheek. We we say that, but I don't know that I actually believe that, that God will send the Messiah. And I think sometimes for people who do believe Jesus is the Messiah, we treat the second coming. We talk about it kind of tongue in cheek as if it's not actually going to really happen. And what we need to do is focus our Christmas celebrations on the reality that God entered the, you know, crossed the threshold of time, space, matter, and energy. He came into human history. He wrote himself into the plot. And we believe he's actually going to do that again. There will be a time that he does return. And I think it'd be a glorious reality for families to make that a part of their Christmas celebration. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I I am fully on board with this, making this a, a robust part of the Advent conversation. Um, Christ has come. 
and Christ is coming again. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's um, we ought to be as excited and anticipatory and ready for that um, as were at least some people in the days when uh, when Jesus came uh, in flesh to dwell among us full of grace and truth. Uh, the wise men were clearly waiting. The, I mean, the wise men were clearly watching. They saw mm-hmm. a star and they knew what it was. They they had anticipated it. They had preserved um, that promise in their culture um, since the days of um, mm-hmm, Lion's Den, dude. Daniel. Daniel. Isn't that terrible? Like, and you're talking to Daniel. Come on. Daniel's name like fled my mind for a moment. <laughs> I'm like the dude that was in the lion's den. Yeah. See, there you go. This is <clears throat> this is when you don't make your notes very robust. Uh, what happens in the conversation? Dan, we got to leave it right there. Thank you, as always, so much. I uh, want to invite people to visit Theolatte.com. All the things that Dan and I talked about today are chronicled in the Weekend Worldview Reader. Um, And you might learn some things about um, St. Nicholas. And tomorrow is the Feast of St. Nicholas. So there you go. Our Eastern Orthodox friends will certainly be celebrating that. Dan, as always, thanks, man. Happy Advent. Thanks, Carmen. You too. Bye. We'll be right back. All right. One of the things that you might consider um, consider doing uh, in terms of your Christmas cards, if you haven't thought about those yet, <clears throat> which I just go ahead and acknowledge, I haven't thought about mine yet. And um, I remember a number of years ago actually sending out a birth announcement. That's kind of a fun way to approach the uh, the Christmas card, um, you know, heralding the birth of uh, of this baby and um, inviting people to you know receive him. Um, so there you go. You might a uh, different way of thinking about Christmas cards than maybe you have thought about them before. Something a little different, something that might catch people's attention. Um, you could also maybe send uh, a card that declares that Jesus is coming again. I don't know what that would look like, um, as opposed to like a Christmas has come, Christmas is coming. Oh, well, there's there's sort of the movements that happen maybe in in Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Right? There's Christmas past, Christmas present. Christmas future. Um, so anyway, Christ is the one who has come. He is coming even now. And yes, he is coming again. All kinds of things to converse about during the season of Advent, where we both um, reflect on the reality of Christ who has come in the person of Jesus, fully God, fully man, incarnate in the flesh, full of grace and truth, and that he's coming again um, from where he is currently seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Um, He's coming again to judge the living and the dead, to bring the kingdom of God into its full reality here, Um, a new heaven on a new earth. I'm telling you, it's some great stuff to anticipate and and celebrate and look forward to and look back upon. All right, all kinds of opportunities during Advent. Hey, we got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. I am going to talk with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In, and then I've got Uh, Randy Richards, we're going to look at the Bible and maybe the ways that we misread Scripture with our individualist eyes. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.